Hello again to Talking Flutes. I'm Claire Southworth and I have again sitting with me Wissam Bustani. Now we spoke a couple of weeks ago and there was so much to talk about we didn't really have enough time to get it all into one podcast so Wissam is back again to talk about his other things. So hello again Wiz. Hello. <laughs> now we talked last time about early career, we talked about your method of teaching and improvisation and playing from memory but we didn't talk about your compositions and we didn't talk about your wonderful new orchestra. Mm. So should we start with the orchestra? <laughs> okay. Where do you want to start from? Well, what's, this, what's the name? Oh, the name is the Pro Youth Philharmonia. And how did this come about? Wow. Uh, again, there's a short answer and there's a long answer. I've led from the flute on occasion... But uh, about four years ago, I was invited on a residency to, uh, to Aust- the Australian National Academy of Music, ANAM, in Melbourne. Uh, it was my third or fourth visit, and the, the residency was based on all of Poulenc's chamber music. And I got to coach all kinds of groups. And they said, we'd like to end the concert with Obad, Poulenc's... Um, piano concerto for piano and I think 18, 18 instruments. Yeah, it's a small group, isn't it? Of course, yeah, but it packs a punch. Yes. Uh, would you like to conduct it? What? Uh, my, my instinct was to say, no, not really. I'm happy for someone else to do it. But then I thought, well, why not? You know, why not? Chance to talk about the method called love to non-flute players and just do something new. And that experience was woke me up. I came back home after the tour and um, told her, me and my wife about it, and she said, you've got to follow this through. Why don't you study it? So I did. I've been studying conducting for two, to about two years. Uh, and then it came to the point where I had to decide, okay, how does that translate from being a student to conducting properly? Properly, what I mean is, how do you evolve from student to professional yeah. conductor? And that's when my past came flooding back. Yes, Chamber and Orchester. that wonderful quote from your stepfather, the flute is too small for you, I see you as a conductor one day. That's one of the things. You even going to even, I was talking about the European Union Youth Orchestra, okay. Claudio Abado. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my absolute hero. I had never played with a conductor so inspiring, so natural, so empathetic, so moving, who made it look so easy. And all those memories of him came flooding back. And I know that the reason for his success, besides his talent was that he formed youth orchestras. He worked with them. He worked with the passion in young people. And he rehearsed on his terms. And that's how he built up his repertoire, his confidence, his his brand of conducting. And then went on to conduct the best orchestras in the world. I know in my heart that's how he did it. So I decided to do the same. Not because I'm Claudio Bado but because uh, I'm following a passion and a love that is most uh, fertile 
and ready in young people because they're still open to it and they're still experiencing music uh, for the first time in many repertoire for the first time. So I, uh, two years ago, I decided that that's what I'm going to do. And bit by bit, it's grown. And before we knew it last month, it happened. <laughs> It's extraordinary because, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. You have the ideas, but actually to put it into practice, this is a huge venture. I mean, you told me earlier that you auditioned every single member of the orchestra. Every single member was heard by me alone. Uh, not because I'm a megalomaniac, but because I, there's a message behind the orchestra. In fact, if you see the logo, it's Pro Youth Philharmonia, and underneath it, is written a method called love. What we were talking about too. So weeks. it ties in with it, your message you've been giving have, through your teaching and playing. I have not changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my heart is the same. What I want from music is the same. My flute is my oldest friend. Uh, so I, I look through life. I look at life through it. It's my filter. It's my question of life. It's, it's how I'm inspired. But if you're not willing to move on and nurture that love, if love isn't nurtured, it dies. And if I'm to be honest with you, I've been feeling that a little bit in my flute playing over the last years. I can somehow motivate myself, but deep down, instinctively, I'm feeling that I need to nurture the love. Mm. I need new aims. I need something new in my life to to push me to a new horizon. Because if I'm not at that place, I'm decaying. So do you find that then that by doing something slightly different or very different... It's not as different as it may seem. No, but it feeds the other aspects of your career. Absolutely. I'm motivated again. When I come back to my flute, I love it again for its simplicity. Yeah. For the for its immediacy, I mean, I don't have to negotiate with anyone except myself uh, and my muscles. <laughs> you know, it's it's a direct transition of idea into physicality. With an orchestra, there's a delay and there's seventy people to convince, but that's a challenge in itself. But actually, uh, as we were talking before, what was the translation into air and uh, fingers and connecting with the sound of the flute has uh, now become how I analyze the gestures and what they mean for as a conductor. The subtlety of the gestures, the breathing is actually the beginning of the gesture. So armed with 40 years of playing the flute, I've got all that that I'm digging into to inform the gestures. Mm. So I'm, I'm, in a way, I'm being as true to myself as I possibly can, trying to find a new reality out of something that I've believed in for so, so long. And what are... It's like a, a snake that changes its skin every seven years. It stays the same snake. Yeah, and what our listeners can't see is that when you talk, you have all the gestures and all the facial expressions... <laughs> that will, I'm sure, just help people understand what you're trying to communicate Absolutely. when you're standing in front of and an orchestra. We cannot leave this, this particular discussion uh, not also acknowledging and understanding how powerful the musicians' attitudes 
and body language and words and ideas were in helping me grow as a conductor because they helped me, they showed me how they wanted to be conducted. Mm. Don't underestimate that. Uh, we put so much pressure on us being the conductor. But actually, when you let go and you trust, that's how you get the best out of your pianist yeah. or your orchestra. Okay. So you learn as much from them as they learn from you? I, I personally have learned more from them than I've learned from myself. Okay. Because trusting is a huge step for a person. It's the final step of love. You can't trust someone if you haven't learned to love the idea of trust or the person you're trusting. So it's, it's the ultimate test. If you're willing to abdicate your own responsibility and put your trust in other people, that's not letting yourself down. That's rising to a new level of, of what it takes in life to make things happen. I love it. I love it. And it, it means that you need to know your shit so much mm. that you're willing to let go and trust other people. So you've had your first concert series with the orchestra. Yeah, just last month. And I think that went really well, didn't it? It had these great, great moments, and it exceeded actually my expectations. The players were, uh, were stronger than I expected, dared believe. You know, it, it was a transformative so we did concerts at Cadogan Hall, at, at Oxford Sheldonian Theatre, and at Stoke-on-Trent in Victoria Hall. And that was our first. We played the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra. We played Prokofiev's second violin concerto with Stephanie Gonley on the violin. And we started the concert with uh, James Macmillan's Confession of Isabel Gaudi. So a very challenging program. Very challenging program. And you were, you were telling me earlier before we started recording that you conducted the Bartok without music. Against, against my teacher's <laughs> advice. And you got the same sense of freedom when you, when you performed without the music? Like without when you, a doubt, because, yeah. you know, who are you kidding? Aren't the orchestra supposed to look at the conductor? Isn't that the yeah, aim? That is the aim. Okay. Well, what kind of a conductor are you if you're demanding that everyone looks at you but your eyes are glued in the score? That's an interesting point, isn't it? It works both ways. Yeah. If you're not willing to release, why should you expect everyone else to release their fear? Okay. So, uh, and I know it worked because for three days I was stuck to the music. And then on the last day, before our first concert, I turned to the leader, Flora, and said, I'm conducting the Bartok from memory. And her face went green. I said, I don't care if I bring the whole orchestra down. It's my orchestra. <laughs> Seventy people have come together, many of them from abroad. All the expense, I was willing to let go of that on one selfish point of integrity and, and and people will say isn't that selfish that you're placing your own sense of doing right above the welfare of the whole orchestra what if it fails integrity when you have it it doesn't fail you and, and there and then I put the score and I didn't just leave it I put it I closed it and put it 
far away that I couldn't go to it. And I conducted the Bartok from memory for the first time on that Thursday. That night, I woke up at 2 o'clock at night. Tell Shirmin, I mean, she will tell you, I honestly thought I was having a heart attack. That's how horrible I felt. The dress rehearsal on the Friday, I was a, a knot. But as soon as I walked on stage, it was like every flute recital I've given. Because, because you have to be with the moment so intensely, otherwise you fall. That's what playing from memory. You have to be with the moment, live it so intensely that the next moment becomes inevitable. You, you have no time for self-doubt. You're just living it again. And that takes over. I've done it for 40, 30, well, no, memory for 25 years. Um, I know my response to it. I don't know what it does for me. And I know that sometimes I make mistakes. I know all that. So I, I was like a fish to water. And what was the feedback from the orchestra? The same, because they were looking at me. They were smiling at me. Mm. In the performance, there was interaction. You don't think that encouraged me? Mm. And of course, once you release, it's like a, it's like a contagious energy. Everyone starts to release, and then everyone gives their positive energy to everyone else. It's like a bug, a positive bug that catches. And of course, the negative side of that exists too. So lack of confidence, fear. Once that takes root, we spread that to our colleagues. You know. So once you liberate yourself, that's what you're giving to people. Whether it's a pianist or an orchestra, it's the same. Whether it's your daughter or, or, or a conversation you're having with someone, it's the same. So it's, well, it all sounds incredible. What are your plans for the orchestra now? Well, the plans now have I've hit back uh, the ground again after the high of the tour. We have to get our charity number because fundraising on a serious level can't really happen until that. So we're having to take a risk now and say the next tour is January 2019. By then, we are very confident that we can, we can get our finances together again and build the next project. The, the aim of the orchestra is to have three tours a year, uh, at least. And we do want to tour abroad as well. Uh, I think a lot of the opportunities, the funding opportunities, will come with the touring, actually, abroad. And are you already thinking about repertoire? Are you studying the repertoire? Uh, we've launched a competition at Trinity for a composer to to a commissioned piece. How exciting. So that we'll start judging that next month in June. Uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but uh, in June we'll, we'll be deciding on the person to write a piece. I want to also, because I'm Lebanese, I want to encourage Middle Eastern soloists mm. and composers. Uh, and also when we tour abroad to introduce English music to, to the Middle East. So that's quite an important part of the, of the character of the orchestra. Mm. Uh, is that side of commissions and new music. And I would love to conduct Beethoven 7. So that's the big piece for us in January, probably. Very exciting. I'm really into Mahler. Uh, yes, it's a Beethoven, wow, I can't wait. Mahler might be slightly more difficult because it's so much longer. Nah, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you pick up the flute and you play for five minutes, that's more daunting than playing for an hour and a half. Because when you're playing for a recital, you have time to settle. Five minutes, you're, hot, you're, st you're still equalizing with your adrenaline. It can sometimes yeah. be harder. <laughs> the difference between 60 minutes of music and 10 minutes 
is not six hundred percent more. It's just because the big cha- the, the big challenge is to have the guts to do one thing. Yes. It's like walking. Mm-hmm. Once you can walk, you can you can actually go to Cumbria and walk yeah. a fell. Yeah. You don't have to go from ten steps to twenty. Once you walk. You can walk to the shops, you can walk to your grandmother's, you, you can walk. The hurdle is a psychological hurdle. Yeah, that, well, it's all very exciting. Now, that's obviously a big part of what you're doing at the moment, yeah, but what about is. your flute playing? The flute playing is, my, like I say, is my old friend. If without my old friend, I'm, I'm, I'm without my closest partner. Uh, the orchestra is an extension of my love, but the flute is the core of my love. So you still give recitals? Yes, still performing? less than before, uh, but 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 yes, I'm I'm working up the Cachaturian to play in Mexico in July. There are three flute courses that I'll be giving recitals at the NFA. I'll be at at the BFS. I'll be I'm writing a new piece uh, in honor of Eva Kingma, who made my f- yes. the Kingma system yes. flute. I play on a Brandon uh, Brandon uh, Kingma mm-hmm. quarter tone flute. So I'm writing a piece to honor, because she's getting a Lifetime Achievement Award this year. So I'm writing a piece called Future Blossoms for her. I haven't started a note yet. <laughs> so that's another challenge to overcome before, really before July, I've got to write that down. That's going to be a busy few months for you. Yeah. yeah. That's how you like it. Yes. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning on some repertoire that I know while other things are. Yeah. yeah. I'm relearning the Felt Sonata, which I love. And uh, playing the Bowen, which uh, I love. And hopefully a new piece will be coming forth soon. Wonderful. So we've got a few little questions for you that I've been asking other uh, guests on Talking Flutes. Okay. So what musicians have inspired you? The truthful answer is I'm inspired by life rather than musicians. I'm inspired by feelings. If you like, I'm a sensualist. Whatever I, res- whatever I respond to with my heart and lights me up, that's my inspiration. Is there any one person that, you, if you could go and hear anybody in a live recital now, not flute players, anybody, uh, anyone that you would just okay. say, li- alive or dead? I was thinking of that. Um, I've always been fiercely independent as a flute player. I've protected that almost almost to a fault. But actually, it's also part of what created my personality as a player, so I have to acknowledge that. I've always uh, consciously avoided the flute players that I was drawn to. I, I kind of instinctively felt that to spend too much time with them I would wind up copying their mannerisms yes. or their... Which is understandable, isn't it? Yeah. I, I've, too much. So I've consciously stayed away from mm. the very big personalities. Mm-hmm. Jean-Pierre Rampal, Webb, Jimmy. I've consciously... I've known them and loved them and, and respected them, but actually, on purpose, didn't allow myself to drown in their world. What about non-flute players? With non-flute players, I find it easier. I'd mentioned Claudio Abado. He is my conducting god. Mm. I find it easier because it's a more objective way of making music. It's not really, because you, you do need to love the people you're conducting. But the flute is so intensely me. 
and goes f- so far back and so far connected with the breath, um, I find that uh, harder. Okay. Favorite genre of music? Honest music. Right. And what about uh, the hardest flute piece you've played? Baba Black Sheep <laughs> and the Khachaturian. Actually, the depending on the time when you played it. <laughs> well, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I find so, some things that should be very difficult, laughably easy, and I find sometimes the simplest things very, very, very difficult mm. to come to terms with. And I think that duality exists in everything we do. So I, I don't think, think in terms that. Yeah. I don't think in terms of... So, what? Um, let's talk about memorable moments. Do you have a most memorable moment playing the flute? I remember my recording of the Khachaturian right in the middle of that very fast semi-quaver passage that there's no place to breathe in in the last movement. And um, we had booked three or four days of sessions in, in, in Kiev, which then Naxos came because the orchestra had an ongoing relationship with Naxos, they took one of our sessions. I wound up recording the Khachaturian before the concert we gave, which was scary. So we, had, we recorded the Khachaturian on an afternoon evening, the whole thing. And uh, their sessions are four-hour sessions in Kiev. So we recorded the whole of the Khachaturian in four hours, that's incredible. With and we had a four-hour session left in that in the evening. So I said, "Sorry, uh, I'm going to be a bit tough on you. I'm going to ask you to come back, and we're going to play through the Khachaturian one last time. And that's all. And you can have the evening off." And so they said, "Okay," and we did that. And in that last movement, the conductor stopped conducting, and there was just a big smile on his face. And the whole orchestra was just on fire. And that's a moment where you're on a different plane. And it's like the music is playing itself. You're no longer pushing and blowing. It's just something takes over. Uh, Another experience is after a recital with a harp in, in Bahrain, many, many years ago, someone I never met gave a piece of paper that was passed on to me in the dressing room and said, thank you for tonight's concert. I've had a problem breathing, and somehow tonight I could breathe. I never met the person. And uh, those are moments that, that, that make you... Stay in your heart. Yeah, stay in your heart and uh, get remind you of the intensity of, of what, what we want. And the influence you have on people listening. Well, that's... Yeah, I suppose that happens too. Yeah. So... How do you prepare for a flute recital? Do you have a set routine? Yeah. What do you do? My routine isn't a daily routine. So my routine is, it revolves about memorizing. So I don't start with a set of warm-ups and scales. For me, a warm-up is the time it takes to memorize, the cycle it takes to memorize and find my power for a recital. So my cycle of is probably a month long. So I start from not being able to play a piece, and then each I build on each day longer, longer spans of concentration until I can get through a piece. Um, so 
that's my cycle of work. I don't expect to have the the sound that I want when I can't play the notes. It doesn't add up because my my whole body is out of balance until I know what's coming and I can feel the the, the rhythm organically in my body. So I wait for that to happen. So the sound that I'm after comes as a result of the memory. So I don't build up my sound day by day with a series of exercises. It is the culmination of the exercise of memorizing that I find my sound. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've been given and by whom? Do you remember? Yeah, it was given to me by Trevor. Uh, as a as a bit of a joke with a twist to it, as you know, Trevor's humor always has a, a twist to it. We were at the Moise's last flute course in Bosville. You were there. I was there too. And I was down to 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 play to to the great flute mm-hmm. player. And um, he was sick because you know he had one lung and yeah. just so poorly. And Danino took over, and I wound up playing to Danino. And for me, that was a slap in the face. I built myself up to play to the legend, and then I played to the hanger-on. I couldn't... I, I, I felt so, so let down. Yes. And Trevor, of course, saw that. Mm. I was never that close to Trevor. Uh, I, I was close to him in, in some ways, but couldn't get close to him as a person. But he connected to me that day. And he picked up on my anger in the class and he reached into his bag, tore out a piece of paper and wrote two lines on it and passed it to me. It said, better to be the head of a dog than the tail of a lion. And that to me was the biggest lesson I learned from Trevor in four years. Mm -hmm. So better to think for yourself than to hang on to energy that is great. So I tell my students, write your own paragraph. Don't read a thousand books, but write your own paragraph. But it resonated with you. It resonated to me, because that's uh, that's how I've lived my life, I think. That's wonderful. What ambitions do you have left? None. So everything ended tomorrow? No, that's one of those trick questions, because without ambition we sag but also ambition in its own sake can be a source of unbelievable stress and and uh, anxiety and uh, I've I think I'm softening with time and I need aims but ambition and competition and, and a drive for its own sake I've let go of uh, but wherever love can grow I'm following it and if you couldn't play the flute, what would you do? I'd probably be a courier. A courier. I love motorbikes. So for me, I love motorbikes. I, I just love it. I just love the sense of the wheels, the balance. And I relax when I'm on a motorbike. I love the speed. I love the, the grace when you hit a corner just at the right speed. Sounds I love dangerous. It. Very, I love the danger. I've, Have you had accidents? I've had. That's why I've had two knee operations. For a motorbike from, accident? From a motorbike accident that happened 25 years oh, ago. Heck. Dangerous things. Yeah. And what's, what it's like memory. Yeah. <laughs> and what type of bike do you, do you I, ride? I, recent, well, I had recently had a bike stolen. Oh dear. 
And I decided, okay, that's probably going to be my last, last bike. So I have a glorious BMW Adventurer. Glorious <laughs> machine. So would you say that's your hobby? Or do you have, other, do you have another uh, hobby besides riding your bike? Look, for some people, playing the flute is a hobby, but it's their biggest passion in life. Mm. So, uh, uh, for some reason, hobby wakes up like second thing you do in, in, in life. Uh, and it's, I don't like that, because uh, for some people, the hobby, uh, you can almost disrespect people for having a hobby as a flute player. But yeah. actually, they have more love in them than many professionals. Okay, I get all that. So, what do you do to relax? Uh, sometimes to play the flute now, mm -hmm. sometimes to walk my dog, sometimes... Uh, so what sort of dog do you have? We have a cockapoo who's just irresistible. Cool. Just, his name is Elvis. Elvis, the cockapoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so what other things could we ask you? Favourite country to visit? I, my mind doesn't work like that. You like lots of different countries. Uh, well, yeah, you can't categorize people and things and make lists. And life doesn't work like that. Mm, fair enough. Favorite food? <sighs> Ask me what's good for me. No, 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 no. That's something, that's something completely different. <laughs> so, if you're at home and you've got to cook for yourself, and you think I'm going to cook just what I want to eat, what would it be? I can cook a very good Lebanese dish called Ma'lubet Arnabit which is cauliflower fried with lamb and then uh, with lots of gar gar boiled with rice and garlic and then you so you t you tip it upside down it becomes like a cake a savory cake mm. you have it with yogurt and with fried pine nuts it's very heavy but delicious sounds wonderful it's del I'll cook it for you someday good I'm looking forward to that okay. yeah. well we sum it's been an absolute joy <laughs> You know, I said, uh, in it's our nice first, to reconnect. Sorry to, to reconnect, but you know, as I said, we'd known each other for forty years. Um, my memories of you were of always this incredible player who moved people. Whatever you did, you moved people. Always the playing has been inspirational, um, and you've done so much more inspirational things throughout your career. That's it's too kind. been lovely to hear it, all about it. And I wish you all the luck in the future. Uh, same to you and everyone listening. Thanks, Lisa. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are a podcast production by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.